Thank you very much, everyone. Hello. There we go. Good morning. I just want to share a little something with you real quick. Uh, our men's Bible study, uh, Behold Your God, we're studying about worship. And this little uh, couple sentences here really hit me really hard. It says, Worship must bring us to self-forgetfulness not a preoccupation with self-fulfillment or self-affirmation. The question can never be, what do I want in this service today? We must always ask, what does God want from our service today? With that being said, let's all stand up. And we're going to sing, Trading My Sorrows.
Please stand again. We're going to start off with Draw Me Close. We're going to sing the chorus to Thank You, Lord, and then Give Thanks.
I see a lot of sleepy folks out there. That turkey's still hanging on to you. Is that what it is? It's time to get woke up just a little bit this morning. So get your hearts ready. That's what that worship and praise is all about. Get your hearts ready. Let's get excited this morning. I want you so fired up this morning that you're ready to charge hell with a squirt gun. Amen? I want to be that kind of Christian. I want to be that kind of guy that when I'm coming, a sinner says, Oh, no, here's that Jesus guy again. In fact, I want to be so full of the Holy Spirit that when a mosquito bites me, it flies away singing, there's power in the blood. Amen? I want to be that kind of guy. And so should you. You should be on fire for Jesus Christ. And you have a lot to be thankful for. What are you thankful for this week? Are you thankful for your family? Are you thankful for what God has done in your life? Thankful for what God is doing in your heart and around your family? Let me tell you what, last night, my family gathered around. We played a new board game. And I'm not going to recommend this board game to anybody, but it's called Throw, Throw, Burrito. As you can imagine what happened, basically it's, it's a game of speed with dodgeball in it. I had a blast, y'all. I did. You actually get into an Old West style duel, you know, where you, you got a burrito in each hand. Now, it's a, it's a stuffed burrito, guys. And so you down the hallway, back to back, going three, two, three. One burrito and throw it. Boy, it's great. you got to get a hold of that sometime. And you can watch your family come together in something so easy as a board game. How many of you know that Thanksgiving is about bringing the family together? How many of you know Thanksgiving is about being thankful for what God has done in your family? Not about the things you have. It's about those around you. In fact, if you woke up this morning with only... What you gave thanks for last night, what would you have? If you have your Bibles with you, open to please from the Gospel of Matthew. To begin this morning's message entitled, The Keys to the Kingdom. Keys to the Kingdom. We're in Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to read just one verse. We're not going to stay there, of course. We'll jump around a little bit this morning, and I hope you have a good time with it. Hope you enjoy yourself. Hope you will learn from that. And before we read Scripture... Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity to be in your house this morning. And I pray, Lord God, as we gather together in your holy and righteous name, that we would worship you in truth and spirit. I also pray, Father God, if there be one in these keys, Lord, this morning, that he needs to come to know you, personal Lord and Savior, one, Father God, whose heart's been struggling. Would you let this morning be the morning they come to you, Lord, and surrender to you and ask for your forgiveness, Lord, and receive eternal life. I'm praying, Lord, that you would encourage us, edify us, equip us, Father God, as we look into your word. And most of all, Lord God, bless us with your presence. As we ask these things in Jesus' holy and righteous name. Amen. Look at me in verse 19. The Bible says, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, let's put to one side for just a minute all those very familiar and famous passages that are in there. You know, the keys to the kingdom, what we're going to focus on, but the gates of hell will not prevail against you, and what you bind in heaven, and what you bind on earth, and what you loose. Let's put those to the side for a minute, because those are oftentimes, let's be honest, objects of great controversy, aren't they? And so, we say, Josh, don't we understand those things? We do. We most certainly understand them. We are people of the book. We're Baptists. Amen? Well, I guess. I mean, they're in a Baptist church, right? 
So we understand that we're supposed to be in the Bible. We're supposed to be reading the Bible. We're supposed to be about what the Bible says. So let's put those things to the side for just a second. You know, those passages of the gates of hell, will never prevail against it. Let's put aside uh, on this rock I will build my faith and all those that are included in Matthew 16. And let's just focus on Jesus saying, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Now, my picture here that I have for you is a picture of some keys. And I love these keys. They're skeleton keys. And I love them most of all because in my office I have a cabinet that takes the skeleton key. Now, the bad news is, is I don't own that skeleton key anymore. Isn't it? In fact, I've never owned it. When I received the cabinet from the last church that I pastored, uh, it was a library cabinet. It contained books and of course, they had no books in it until I got there, and I put my books in it, and as I was leaving, they were like, why don't you take it with you? It's just going to be empty when you leave. I said, sure, I'll take it and turn it into something, and I did. I turned it into something. I put a lot of uh, Jewish uh, artifacts and uh, Hebrew history and things of great interest to me that are in there so far, as menorah, polish, deep sea. Uh, got some salt in there from the Dead Sea, uh, some anointing oil, the things that I think are great interest. And yes, you are invited to come and see those things in my office. Of the scrolls, the Torah scrolls are in there. So you can come and see those things. Pretty neat. Uh, but these keys right here really spoke to me. And the reason why is I just looked up pictures of keys, and this is the first one I found. And if you notice in between those keys, there is the key. What is the key? It's the Jesus key. Right in the middle of it, there. The Jesus Christian. So I thought, well, God, you must be with me today. As you write this sermon out, you have let me know you're with me in a picture. Now, how many cool is that? Somebody say amen. We do that all the time, don't we? We get excited when we see something and say, well, God must be with me. Can I tell you something? And I want you to learn this from the bottom of my heart. Are you ready for this, Christian? God will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen. Yeah, go ahead and give him a round of applause. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And you don't need a picture of something silly to prove that Jesus is with you. What you need is a dose of the Holy Ghost. What you need is to understand that He does not leave His children. And He will never forsake them. And on top of that, are you ready for this? There's nothing you can do that will ever make Him love you any more than He already does. You are worth the cross. You're worth the nails. You're worth the blood. And He thinks that you're worth the suffering. Why? For God so loved the world. Amen? So, let's take a look at these keys for just a second. Notice I put two of them up there. Two keys. And so we're only going to look at one key tonight. And maybe perhaps tonight when we come back in Sunday night service, we'll look at key number two. Let's look at key number one. Notice that Jesus said, keys, plural. So there's at least two. I like to think of being three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And the more you study the scriptures, the more keys you find for the kingdom. Let's just look at one this morning, and perhaps tonight we'll look at our second key as well. So our number one key is an attitude of gratitude. We're just coming out of Thanksgiving, like I was saying. So are you thankful for what God has done in your life? Are you thankful for what God is doing? So as we come out of Thanksgiving, what did you give thanks to God for? Give thanks to God for the bountiful food? Of course you did. Did you thank God when you woke up in the morning with a tummy ache? I did, amen. Did you thank God for the turkey? Let me tell you something. I am overwhelmed by the generosity of Robinson Avenue Baptist Church. And I am overwhelmed by the love and support you have poured out to me and to my family. It's my board of deacons that supported, loved us, prayed for us, and provided thanksgiving for me and for my family. And then someone out of the blue, I'm not going to give his name, but he just showed up at my house with a turkey, deep fried, and let me tell you, praise God that I'm off my diet for that. Go like this. Right? 
They showed up with a turkey deep fried injected with something called Cajun butter. Never in my life have I seen a turkey so quickly picked clean. That was amazing. That was an amazing turkey. I mean, there was nothing left by the next morning. Nothing. Nothing. And I thought to myself, Joshua, my eldest son out on that submarine, he does not know what he missed today. If he'd been home, he would have eaten that turkey. And Joshua doesn't like turkey. So, anyway, as you're just coming out of Thanksgiving, what did you give thanks for? Like I said before, what if all you had this morning is what you gave thanks to God for last night? Would that change how you give thanks? Most of the time we thank God for what's good in our lives, don't we? We thank God when things go right, don't we? We thank God when our family's around us. But then we ask God, why aren't they near? Or why is somebody mad at me? Or God, why are you angry at me? Or we tell God, I'm angry at you. What if all you had the next morning was what you thanked God for that night? Would that change the way you give thanks? I know it would me. So we need to adapt an attitude of gratitude. In fact, that's our number one key today. Number one key this morning. The attitude of gratitude. If you want to learn the keys to the kingdom, if you want to find out why you got doors in front of you you can't open, if you want to find out why there are places you can't go, sometimes it's because we're just not thankful enough. Somebody say amen this morning. Sometimes we're not grateful enough for what God has done. Sometimes we take a look at the great gift, the unspeakable gift of God, and we take it for granted. When's the last time we've taken the cross for granted? When's the last time we've taken the suffering of His Son for granted? When's the last time we've taken the gift of the Holy Ghost for granted? That ought to scare us half to death. But we do it all the time, don't we? We come in God's house. We treat His sanctuary like it's someplace not to be reverent in. We sing His songs as though it's boring. We sing His songs sometimes as though, well, it doesn't really matter. I don't like that song because I'm putting my heart into it. No, no, no. You need a heart change because we need an attitude of gratitude. Somebody say amen. You will find that an attitude of gratitude leads to these principles of keys. Keys to the kingdom. So let's take a look. If we're going to take a look at our first key, Attitude of gratitude. What makes that up? Well, if you're going to have an attitude of gratitude, number one, you've got to find out what inspires you for inspiration. And two, you're going to find out why you worship. Why do you worship? Inspiration. Let's take a look at that first part of our first key of an attitude of gratitude. Inspiration. Be inspired by God's Word. Do you let God's Word inspire you every day? Do you let his word leads you, guides you, and directs you down pathways of righteousness for His name's sake. Do you have daily Bible reading? Better yet, do you have fellowship with Bible-believing Christians? You know what you're saying? I actually had to put that in there. Bible-believing Christians. Have you been to some churches nowadays? And they don't even open the Bible. They don't even use the Bible anymore. The Bible talks to us in, in Hebrews 10.25 that we should not neglect the fellowship of the believers. And when you look into that word believers, it's Bible-believing, it's God-believing brothers and sisters. Amen? It is time for the church to get back to saying there's a difference between Bible-believers and non-believers. There's a big difference in it. And we're supposed to fellowship with Bible believers. So make sure that when you are putting on your attitude of gratitude and finding out what inspires you and finding out why you worship, that you're with those who believe. It is really difficult to be inspired when you are not fellowshipping with you. ever seen that movie, E.T.? I did when I was a kid, and I hated it. Amen? I still don't like it. 
But you remember that movie, E.T., his neck would grow, right, his chest would grow, and everybody thought it was neat and cute, but really the, the catchphrase was, E.T. phoned home. He was alone! Christian, when you're walking this world out of fellowship with your brothers and sisters without God's Word, you're like E.T. on this earth saying, I don't know what I'm doing, I don't know where I'm at, I'm all alone, somebody phoned home because I'm lost. Are you there right now? Some of you might be right now. And you've been walking there for years. Saying, I just don't know what to do. In fact, the number one question that comes to my office is, Pastor, God is not telling me what to do. And the number one question I ask him is, are you in God's Word? If you're in God's Word, you're going to know what God is telling you to do. If you're in God's fellowship with God's believers, you're going to find yourself hungering for God's Word. All right. God's Word is never the same, incidentally. You read it, and I hear testimony of this every day, 26 years preaching. I can tell you right now, every time I pick up my Bible, and every time I read my Bible, I learn something new. Amen? Some kind of new mystery is revealed. Some kind of new truth is brought out to me. Some new victory is shown to me. A new way, a new path, a door is open. A brand new life. And let me tell you right now, the gates of hell truly will never prevail against him and his word. Amen. I don't know about y'all, I'm getting excited this morning. And if I'm getting excited, then, uh-oh, watch out, we might have revival this morning. Amen. <laughs> Look in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 22 and 23. Look at it, what it says about His mercy. When you open up God's Word and you're reading His mercies and His truth, you're going to find out, church, that they are new every morning. Amen? There is something to behold every day. It's no longer dull. It's no longer routine. It's no longer the same old, same old, same old. It's new every morning. Why? Because you are finding out what inspires you. You're finding out why we worship. And that's all part of an attitude of gratitude. Look what the Bible tells us in Hebrews 4.12 about the Word of God. It says, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and the marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God's Word knows why you feel that way. God's Word knows how come you're where you are. God's Word knows how to bring you back to where you need to be. And most of us think, I can't find the answer in God's Word. You know why you can't find it? Because you're not reading it. Amen? It's all there, ready for you. It always has been. You need to get in God's Word. It's alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it discerns the thoughts and intents of your heart. And when you find yourself in God's Word, you will find yourself inspired. And when you find yourself inspired, you'll find out that His mercies are new every morning. And you will hunger and thirst for righteousness that comes from His Word. And you will hunger and thirst for the fellowship with believers. Let's take a look at Hebrews 10.25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. The day approaching. How many of you believe that we are seeing prophecy right now, fulfilled right before our eyes? How many of you believe He's coming back and He's coming back soon? How many of you believe that we, that I'm not old enough to die before Jesus returns? How many of you are living like we're about to see Jesus? 
and it's time for us to get back to church. Somebody say amen. It's time for us to get back to doing the work of the church. And by the way, what's the work of the church? To seek and to save those that are lost. Somebody say amen. It's time for us to get back to sharing the gospel, to get back to believing His Word, to get back to bringing something to a lost and dying world. What does the church bring to them? Hope. Hope. We do a lot more than give out turkeys. Amen. We give out the Word of truth that's able to save a dying soul. Amen. So don't forsake the assembly there. Find out why you need to be inspired. Let's take a look at inspiration, inspiration and an example of it. One of my favorite examples of inspiration is King David. King David often becomes a what-not-to-do guy. In fact, I often use myself as one of those guys. But today I get to use King David. Amen? So, let's take a look at an example here of King David. So look with me in 2 Samuel chapter 6. A little bit of scripture here, so bear with me. Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name the Lord of Hosts. Now, let me stop this for just a second to give you a word of explanation. What had happened was some years ago, the ark was captured by the Philistines when King Saul, or Saul, King Saul, King Saul, had taken the ark out to battle. And, of course, Saul gets killed. Saul's sons get killed. And the ark is captured and brought into the Philistine cities and actually put into the temple of their idolatrous god named um, Baal, better known to us as Dagon, if you read the New King James Bible. And so God does not like that at all. Our God's name is Jehovah. Now, if you speak Hebrew, that's not how you say his name in Hebrew. But why do we say Jehovah? Because the Germans who pronounced it couldn't say the Y very well. They put a thing on it. That's why. All right? Anyway, with that in mind, uh, they put that ark into that temple, and God began to show his dominance. So he knocked over the statue of Dagon. He broke his hands off, and he began to smite the Philistines with tumors and with a plague of might. And we'll leave that right there for now. We'll just put that on the table for just a second. So after the tumors, which were very excruciating to the Philistines, and had a very powerful way of getting their attention, uh, he, they decided to send the ark back to Israel. And so they put it in a brand new cart. In other words, they made it out of brand new wood that's never been used before. They hooked it up to some heifers or some cows that had baby, baby calves. And they took the calves away and sent the ark back to Israel, smacking those cows on the rear end until it went back to the city of Israel. And so when it does, it ends up in the house of Abinadab, or Abinadab, if you want to say it like that, where it stays. Abinadab is a Levite, and it stays there for some years until David decides the ark needs to come back to the capital of Israel. And that's where we're at right now. So look with me right here again and pick up in verse 2. David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, or Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. So, what inspired David to do that? Now, why would David put that ark in a brand new cart? Well, we know, and those of you who hunger and thirst after God's Word, you read God's Word, you know who's supposed to be carrying the ark. 
We already know from the law of Moses that the Levites, amen, they're supposed to put a pole in that ark and carry it on their shoulders. And specifically, those Levites were supposed to be the sons of Korah. Now, I would love to take you back in time to look at what happened with the sons of Korah there. Korah led a rebellion. It's quelled. It's crushed by Father God. But the sons repent, and the sons pick up a prominent place in Israel's history. They sing psalms. They write some of the psalms in the book of Psalms. And, of course, they are designated to carry the Ark of the Covenant. What an honor. Amen. So Numbers 4, verse 15 tells us that the sons of Korah are supposed to carry the Ark. And there's a picture of it right there for you to see there. You can get a good look at it right there. That's the mitres on their head. And, of course, they got the priestly robes on. They've got the tassels on and things of that nature. And they're walking with their poles on their back. To, to give you an idea of what's happening here, when they would set the tabernacle up, they would have to walk into where the Holy of the Holies would be backwards. So they couldn't see the ark. Maybe the ark had a covering on it. And they would pick up that ark and somebody would reach behind them and remove the covering. And they would have the poles preset. And they would raise the pole up so no one's looking at the ark and set it up and walk out that way. That's how they would never look at it that way. The same way when it came and they took it back down, they would, of course, walk in, collapse the tent down on top of the ark, pick up the poles. That's why the poles were never removed from the ark and be able to walk out and never look at it like that. It's a pretty interesting picture there, isn't it? So they were supposed to be inspired of the holiness of the reverence of God. David was supposed to be inspired of the holiness and reverence of God. Back in Deuteronomy 17, 18, and 19, command that the king of Israel read God's law every day. So if anybody and anybody in Israel should have known that, it should have been David. Somebody say amen. What inspired David to do that? What would inspire David to put an ark, the ark, in the Well, you know what inspired him to do that. Where did he get his inspiration? It wasn't the Bible and it wasn't God's Word. It was from those doggone Philistines. Amen? Well, again, have you, like a lot of Christians nowadays, get your inspiration from the world instead of from God's Word? And then you're asking God to bless it and you're wondering why God isn't there? The world's supposed to be getting inspired by us. Amen? We're supposed to be leading the world in acts of charity, in acts of love, in acts of selflessness, in acts of self-denial, in acts of 100% turning the other cheek. Church, we're supposed to be the inspiration of the world. They're supposed to come to us and say, why are you so different? Instead, we're like David saying, I want to do what this Philistine did. That looks really cool. That looks really great. Where did David learn to do this? Well, First Samuel chapter 6 tells us the story. If you're interested in it, you can read verses 7 and 9. Then take the ark of the Lord and set it. This is the Philistine speaking here. Set it on the cart. Put the articles of gold which you are returning to him as a trespass offering in a chest by his side. Then send it away and let it go. And watch as it goes up the road to its own territory. To Beth Shemesh. To Beth Shemesh. Then he has done us this great evil. But if not, then we shall know that it's not his hand that struck us as it happened to us by chance. Also, go straight to Israel. And they know the Lord God of Israel is the greatest God, the only God there ever was. Church, he learned it from the Philistines. He was inspired by the world. And we need to get our inspiration from God and from His Word, not from the world. 
It is my intention as your pastor to pray for you to a point where you get a hunger for God's Word that you are so inspired, like I said earlier, that you will pick up a shotgun and charge literally the gates of hell because you believe that the gates of hell will never prevail against this church. Amen? That's where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be that on fire. Instead, we're inspired by the things of the world. What's been inspiring you lately? What's been inspiring you? Has it been God's Word? Has it been television? Has it been the news? Has it been the election fiasco? What's been inspiring you? What puts a smile on your face? What does it for you, literally and honestly? What grabs your attention? What can't you wait to do? You're supposed to be so hungry for God's Word that that is what you do. I have a philosophy. I have a rule in my life, and I want you to put it to work in your life. Are you ready for this? It's two simple rules, and they're really simple. Both of them are really one rule. So here it is for you. Are you ready? No Bible, no breakfast. <laughs> I have not missed a lot of breakfasts. <laughs> no Bible, no breakfast. No read, no feed. Amen. Make sure you're in God's Word every morning. Every time, make sure you're there in His Word. You need to pick up that attitude of gratitude. If you're truly grateful for what God has done, then you will truly be in His Word. An attitude of gratitude produces real worship. Did you all know that? It produces real worship. Remember the second part of our key of an attitude of gratitude? If you're truly grateful for what God has done, you will find yourself truly worshiping, and church will no longer be boring to you. How many of you know this spiritual truth? If church is boring to you, it's because you're here for the wrong reason. If church is boring to you, it's because you're here for the wrong reason. If you are worshiping the living God, then you will find yourself on fire. And it don't matter how lame the sermon is. Amen? Go like this. It don't matter how boring the sermon is. God's Word will speak to you. God's Word will apply to you. God's Word will encourage you, equip you, and often edify you to go out and do His will. We need that attitude of gratitude because it produces real worship. Let's look at one last example of this this morning. Look with me in Genesis chapter 4. We've got to see King David, and I love King David. But I want to talk to you, if I will, for a minute about Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. They're some of my favorite gods in the Bible. You have to look at through Genesis and you'll see the struggle between brothers happens often. Cain and Abel. You might remember Isaac's brother's name. Ishmael. And his brother's struggling there. Jacob and Eshuad. Jacob and Esau. Somebody remember the struggles of brothers over and over and over and over again. You can see the beginning right here in Cain and Abel. And it's going to surprise you at the difference. The difference is over what the difference is over who was inspired and who was, man, I gotta be there. I don't want anyone to think differently of me. Look with me at Genesis four, chapter three and verse uh, chapter four, verses three and five. Take a look at me here. The Bible says, And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain, that Cain, brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Now, Cain is a farmer. There's nothing wrong with that. That is not sinful. That is not wrong. In fact, it's very good. And we need to thank God for our farmers. Amen. 
Cain is a farmer, but Cain's got a problem in his attitude. He doesn't have an attitude of gratitude, nor does he have inspiration, nor is he truly worshiping. He's only going because his brother is going. He's only going because if my brother goes, then they'll think less of me. And we do have every church has members that do that. Man, I gotta go because I don't want someone to think less of me. Let me tell you, if that's why you're here, you're here for the wrong reason. And I want you to be here to concentrate to worship the Lord God Almighty. All right. So they came to bring an offering to prove the ground to the Lord. And verse four says, Abel, Abel. Now let me chase the rabbit for a minute because I feel that extra time. We didn't have an OCC video this morning, so I got an extra five minutes. Amen. <laughs> so let me chase the rabbit. I want to do a little teaching. Can I do that this morning? Do you remember in Genesis chapter three and verse fifteen? Of course you do. You're all bad. You read your Bible every day. Go like this. You remember it, right? You remember in Genesis three fifteen where God is pronouncing punishment on Adam and Eve as they serpent. That silly old snake, amen. Every time I read that story, you know what I think of? I think of that old Tonky Hall song, Sweet Snake, Drink Root Beer. You know, I just can't get to Adam I'm mind. Every time I read that, I heard that song when I was a kid and I loved it. And I think of that snake just sneaking through the grass. He's coming upon Eve and having a conversation with her. That's crazy, isn't it? That serpent just spoke to her and said, Hey, did God really test you? You understand that's the beginning of the Let me put that doubt in your mind. Did God really mean it? And let me tell you right now, that is the number one enemy in the church today. I don't think God really means it. I don't think God is going to do that to me. I don't think God really means it. I know I'm a Christian, but I can commit adultery. I'm a Christian, but I can look at pornography. I'm a Christian, but I can get drunk. I'm a Christian, but I can be a part of these drugs. I can do this. I can do that. No, you cannot. And why do you say that? Because the same serpent is still whispering in your ear, God didn't really mean it. And it doesn't really apply to you. Wrong. It most certainly does. Applies to every one of us. And that old serpent just sits in her ear. She said, did God really mean it? What? He only worked on something that was already there with a heart. Why was it there? Why was it there? Well, you got to understand that it was Adam who told Eve about all the all the interactions with God. He's the one that told her. God came and God showed me and God spoke to me and God said, "Don't eat of this tree." And God was here. And all of a sudden, the serpent comes up and says, "I know you don't really believe." I know you don't really do, but I tell you right now, speaking for 26 years, right now that old serpent's in your feet, and he's speaking to you, and he's saying, does God really say that? Is God really speaking to you right now? God's not really talking to your heart right now. God's not really speaking to you. Let me tell you, he is. And he's talking to you. And he's trying to put that same doubt inside of you that he put in Eve so many years ago. And so Eve's doubt began to grow. And the Bible tells us that she looked at the fruit of the tree. Now, we really don't know what fruit that was. It's an apple. That's okay. It's a pomegranate. It's okay. It's a cherry. We don't care what it is. It's, a, it's an orange. Nobody cares. It's a lemon. I think it's a persimmon. Amen? <laughs> I don't know what it is. But she eats of it. And the Bible tells us she gives her husband with her, implying that Adam was there with her. Now, the real lesson is, is if Adam was there with her, why didn't he step in? Because he might have had a little doubt too. How many of us would allow a snake to talk to our wives? Don't answer, guys. 
How many of us would allow a snake to talk to your life? Why would you do that? Why would you let a snake talk to your children? Why are you letting a snake into your household, Father? Why do you let them? They come in in the name of that unchristian music. They come in in the name of that unchristian TV. It comes in with those unchristian books, those unchristian attitudes. That's the snake, and you're letting them in the garden. Somebody say amen this morning. Why are we doing that? We are the church of the living God. And we're supposed to believe. And we're supposed to do what Adam was supposed to do. Defend. We're supposed to watch. We're supposed to love. And you know, Adam sat back and watched this conversation happen. Now you know why we needed a second Adam in the Bible. And you know what happened? She hid in the book. She was her husband. Why? Well, I'm going to tell you why. Are you ready for this? It's so simple. It's so simple. It's as easy as this. When she eats of the fruit, she, her eyes become open. And she knows things Adam doesn't know. See, Adam genuinely enjoyed knowing things about God that she didn't know. You ever had somebody like that in your life? They just lorded over something. You ever had a boss like that? You ever had someone that's supposed to train you and they just hold back because they're afraid you're going to do better than they do? Some of you are there right now. You would hold back for years. Now put yourself in Adam and Eve today. And Adam says, I can't let her be better than me. Guys, you ever want to get your oil changed? And you pull into the quick lube or the Valvoline oil change or the Walmart oil change center, and the little girl comes out and says, What can I do for you today? You'd be like, Oh, nothing, I'll change my mind. Why? Because you're afraid she might be better than you. Prepare if a man does. Adam had the same problem. You can't do something I haven't done. You can't know something I don't know. Of course, his eyes are open, and he loses so much of what he already has. Of course, if God comes down, he pronounces the punishment. And in Genesis 2.15, he actually tells the serpent. What does he tell that serpent? He says, you are going to be at odds. Now, I'm paraphrasing. You're going to be at odds at enmity with her seed. And her seed, and you eat seed, is going to be at odds and at enmity with you. In fact, you're going to strike the shield, do the heel, and he's going to crush your head. Now, let's jump forward to Genesis chapter 4. And let's take a look at this young man named Abel. Ab-El. You know how to say Father in Hebrew? Abba. You know how to say God in Hebrew? Elohim. Oftentimes shortened to El as an El Elyon, which is God most high, El Shabbat, and most high. Church, we have a young man named Father God. No wonder the devil does everything in the world to kill this kid. Because he's so afraid of that prophecy coming to you. Like this. Do you see it now? Do you see it? And you might say, God's word is boring to me. God's word doesn't make sense to me. No, 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 no. It's because you're not reading God's word. You're not studying God's word. You are not searching out what's there for you to find. Because when you look into his word, he drops handfuls on purpose for those who will follow after him. Amen? Guys, the devil did everything in the world to get rid of this young man. 
of you is afraid. This is the one that is coming. Makes sense, doesn't it? Look at the name. Whoa! That's got to be the one that God said was coming to touch my head. Little did that devil know. Amen? Little did he know he was coming to the cross. Let's find out what happened to Cain and Abel. Look at verse 4. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and the fat and of his fat. And the Lord, and the word here for Lord is Y-H-W. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his, and his fat. What does that mean? That means his smile turned upside down. His smile was turned into a frown, y'all. Verse 6, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is this countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lieth at the door, and its desire is for thee, but you should rule over. Now, we can get into that, and that's a neat, neat, neat Bible study. But I want to take you Cain to this place. Cain, who was a farmer, brought the first fruit to the ground. He brought them. And I believe there was something missing in his offering. Obviously, so did God. And he didn't have respect for Cain's offering. And when Abel brought his offering, God respected it. Abel brought the first of his flock and the fat thereof. Does that mean the actual fat of the lambs that he brought? It could, but let me tell you literally what it means. Literally what it means, he brought the best of the best. It was the cream of the crop. He brought the best lamb he had. He brought an unspotted, perfect, little baby, so cute lamb. Can you imagine that? I want to bleat like a lamb right now, but I'm afraid to do it. <laughs> Can you imagine that baby lamb? going to learn the seeds of the kingdom. And we've got to understand the first seed. That is seed and that is seed. And in that seed, we need to find out, hey, where is God? It should be God's word, not the world. His inspiration comes from Dr. Phil McGraw. You've got it backwards. His inspiration comes from Oprah Winfrey. You've got it backwards. If your inspiration comes from some politician, you've got it backwards. We should be inspiring them. They should be talking about what the Christians are doing. I love what Franklin Graham did during the COVID-19 pandemic when it first started out. He set up those hospital tents in Central Park in New York, and they got together and said, those Christians have got to leave because they're Christians, and they make us feel convicted. Thank God that somebody is inspired by the Word of God. Hallelujah. You ever wonder if you're sacrificed? You ever wonder if God actually accepted it again? See, when Cain and Abel offered God's sacrifice, Abel's offering was exceeded favorably by Cain's offering. Why? Why? That's a question of all questions, isn't it? Y'all look at me right now like you expect me to give you an answer, isn't it? Of course I'm going to give you an answer. That's my job. So, how are we going to do this? We need to go back and look at those seeds of Cain. 
a first key, an attitude of gratitude. Attitude of gratitude. And in that attitude of gratitude, you need to be inspired by God's Word. God's Word should be the basis of everything you do. It should be the basis of everywhere you go. It should be the basis of every feeling you have. God's Word. God's Word. God's Word. It should be coming out of your heart when you open your mouth. Ask yourself, what comes out of your mouth when you open it? Is it God's Word? Then it's not God's Word. This is telling you. If other things are coming out, then it's not God's Word. You're feeding on it. It's not God's Word. You're devouring Instead, you're being eaten up by the world. You become a King David. You want to act godly and act Christian, but instead you are inspired by the Philistines to worship David. Who want to steal the ark as though they can make God bless them that way. So then, David offering his two prisoners in terms of Could it be that he wasn't inspired by God's word? Could it be that he didn't quite have that attitude of gratitude? But perhaps he didn't have what was coming out of our mouth. That's right. Motive and pleasure. See, a real attitude of gratitude brings about real worship. And when gave God the fruit of this army, it was as if he was saying to God, Look what I've done. Look what I've done. Look what I've done. I moved this. I made this. This is my pumpkin. This is my squash. This is my jalapeno. This is my sweet corn. This is my gravy. I did this and I'm giving it to you, Lord. God had absolutely positively no respect for him. Can you do that when we come to church with that attitude? God, how come you're not blessing me? I came here for you, God. Excuse me. God came to this earth for you. When Cain gave the fruit of his toil, it was as if he was saying to God, Look what I've done. I'm giving you of my work. Abel, on the other hand, recognized that all life comes from the Lord by giving him the firstborn of his flock. Abel was in effect saying, You are the life giver. I am privileged to be a part of your work, the tender sheep you've given me. In other words, when he got on his knees with that lamb, he said, Look what you've done, Father God. Look at what you gave me. And I'm so grateful that you've allowed me to be a part of what you have created. And the attitude of gratitude came out in his work. Amen? Does that make sense? There's a message in that for us. God is the source of all life, and He wants us to acknowledge that. He wants us to acknowledge that we do nothing on our own, that everything we have is given to us by Him to steal. Therefore, it is important to check our motives. Do you acknowledge that you are joining in His work? Or do you still feel it as only your do you sacrifice or do you sacrifice to proclaim that he's the source of your life and work? That's the question I have for you this morning. Perhaps as you look into the keys of the kingdom this morning and you say, Brother John, 
This morning, I'm missing that tree, that tree that all the people gathered to. I gathered together with our family at Thanksgiving, and we gave thanks for our turkey, for our stuffing, for our cranberry sauce, and we gave thanks for our long-lost family relatives who showed up. Well, thank God, that's good. Amen. Did you stop to thank God for His Word that's in your house? Did you stop to thank God for His Son that He sent to the cross for you? Did you stop to thank God for a double, triple portion of His Holy Spirit He's put in Robinson Avenue Baptist Church? Have you stopped to thank God for the freedom He's given you to live in this country where we can still worship unpersecuted, where we can still evangelize without penalty? Did you stop to thank God that you can go across the street and meet Muslims, wicked, witchcraft, demons, vampires, and everything else in any other religion in this country they want to be and share the gospel with them without threat of going to jail. Somebody say amen. When's the last time we thank God for that? We are the greatest country in the world because we can still share the gospel, because we can still evangelize, because we can have an attitude of gratitude. How many of you know that an attitude of gratitude is what produces real evangelism? People tell me all the time, Brother Josh, you have a gift of evangelism. Wrong. I've got a real picture of what he did for me in the cross, and because I'm so thankful, I have to tell everybody what he did for me. He bled for me. He died for me. He gave his life for me. And more importantly, he rose from the dead and now lives for me. It intercedes at the right hand of the Father for me. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. So the next time you give your gift, don't say, God, look what I did. God, look what you did. Look what you did. And look what you gave me. Thank you for your life. Lifted up in your heart and your life every time. Jesus Christ said, Look what you did. You gave me your only begotten Son, and you made me a minister to share the gospel with those who are dying in With all those chains out there. You say, Josh, I don't want to be an able. You got a major problem here, don't you? You got a major problem. See, when you become a worshiper like that, chains are going to raise up. Now, we don't know if he's going to club. You see, that's, that's one of the reasons why the Bible never tells us how Cain killed his brother. He just rises up in the field. So, you get to see how it happens. You get to see. Look down at the Christian martyrs. How do they die? Crucifixion? Burning at the stake? Head to the line? Stone? Beheaded? We don't know how he killed it. When you become the able God calling you to be, you're going to find out that the world loves the persecution. They really do. But it's time for us to say, God, look what you did. Look what you did. You gave me the only begotten son. You might be sitting there in that seat this morning saying, God, you've been reading my mail. I've been sitting there with a heavy heart, and I don't know why. Now I know why. Because it has been truly thankful, my worship has been lacking and even non-existent. When I go to read God's Word, it's a chore, not a privilege. It's like, oh, do I have to do this again? Let me tell you, it's time to change your attitude. It's time to take that first Peter. It's time to take that first Peter finger and find out what inspires you, God's Word, and find out what real worship is. It doesn't do for what He 
chapter 1 there and sit in the seat this morning and say, God, I don't know Jesus. I want you to come to know Jesus. I want you to give your heart to Jesus. I want you to repent and say, God, I've done way too many things. You haven't done nothing that Jesus can't do. You haven't done anything that He can't change. You haven't done anything that He can't cleanse. Let me tell you, not only is He in a cleansing business, He is in a reborn business. That means brand new life. Brand new Pastor said, Josh, I've been looking for that right church to be a part of. I've been looking for that church to be a member of. I can't think of a better church than Robert Kennedy Baptist Church. Amen. We're the best kept secret in Papa Charlie. You need to come and be a part of this. We're going to close in a word of prayer. If it's spoken to you this morning, would you be willing to humble yourself like Abel did? Would you be willing to humble yourself and say, Lord, take what you've done in my life, and now I'm bringing you an offering to me. Take it and use it. We're going to have that word of prayer. We're going to sing that song. If you humble yourself and pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We want to thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us right now. Speak down and touch us with your word. For it is quick and it's sharper than any field for it. It's alive. And I pray, Lord, that you open our hearts to hear from the Father. Send your spirit, Lord, that your name will be magnified. So if there be anyone that needs to come to know you, trust the Lord Savior. And anyone, Father, that needs to get right with you. And anyone, Father, that needs to be a part of Robert Matthews. To get up today, do that day. We give you the praise, the honor, and glory, even now, in Jesus' holy name. Amen. You come as we sing. Change my heart, O oh God. Change my heart, O oh God. Come on. Appropriate song. Come on. Would you write? Change my heart, O oh God. Put your tongue this Make it ever true. Time to worship. Change my heart, O oh God.
uh, Wednesday night at 6.30. I want to remind you all that coming up December 20th is business meeting. And please be in prayer about that. Uh, and last but not least, Saturday, December 5th, Women's Missionary Union, WMU, Pride Rivers Baptist Area in Hamilton. I'll be here about 8 o'clock in the morning that Saturday. If you're interested in going, you can ride with me. You can follow me there. We're going to Hamilton. Uh, we'll listen to a Lottie Moon presentation about foreign missionaries and how we support them in church. But come be a part of that. If you're interested in that, you most certainly can ride with me. Uh, with that being said, have I forgotten anything? No? Let's close in a word of prayer. Good. I'm going to ask our brother Joe to close in prayer for this one.